Welcome, baseball fans. It is time once again for the Running the Bases podcast. I'm Tucker Wells, joined as always by Coach Jordan Bounds. And today we are excited to have on the show none other than Jonathan Mayo. He is the draft and prospect guru for MLB.com, featured writer for the MLB Pipeline, and has been a reporter for MLB.com since 1999. John, thank you so much for coming on the podcast today. Every time I hear that I've been there since 1999, I keep thinking that's, that's got to be a misprint. There's no way I've been doing this for that long. <laughs> well, we're, now take take us through your career path and how you ended up writing for MLB.com. All right. Well, um, graduated from college uh, in 1993, and between 93 and 99, I had like 18 different jobs. Um, bouncing around, startup newspaper that folded, you know, that sort of thing. Ended up at the New York Post for almost four years, kind of working on the desk, got out to write every once in a while, but, you know, it was kind of lower level. And then uh, the opportunity arose uh, at the time. It was MajorLeagueBaseball.com, and uh, they had a three-person staff and had never hired a staff writer. So I was the first ever full-time writer for Major League Baseball's website. And I've been there ever since and have done a little bit of everything. Uh, really started focusing on minor league prospects and the draft in 2003, I think, was when I really first started and have been, been doing that ever since. Was that something that you wanted to move to? Like once you started at MLB.com, did you did you want to did you know, I guess, that you wanted to write about prospects? Uh, I always thought found it interesting. Uh, and I like telling, you know, the stories of people that uh, weren't known. Uh, and, and early on, even that, that first year, I started in April of 99. So that June was the first time I had ever covered a baseball draft in any way, shape or form. Uh, cause back then, even, you know, back then there was really not much coverage in mainstream newspapers. There'd maybe be a thing on who their first round pick was. A lot of times teams wouldn't even release who they took, what, what rounds. It would just be like a list of your, your, our draft picks. <laughs> But at right. very early stages of Major League Baseball's website, they would set traffic records for the draft because they would carry the uh, the audio of the conference call. And that's all the draft was back then. It was a conference call with all the teams on it. But everybody tuned in to hear because, you know, the the kid and the kid's family and the kid's teammates and classmates, everybody were, you know, tuning in. So we did a fair amount of coverage around then and that that kind of got me hooked on, on the amateur baseball front, but I started doing minor league stuff when I could. Uh, we covered the Arizona fall league every year. Uh, when I would go to spring training, I loved doing stories on, you know, the top prospects were in big league camp for the first time. And, and back then there really was not a whole lot of coverage. It was kind of baseball America and that was it. Right. Um, right. There were, you know, a couple of other, uh, outlets would do stories here and there, but by and large, it was a wide open niche that no one was covering. So uh, I was happy to to jump into it when when given the opportunity to really focus on that in, back in 03. Jonathan, if I can ask you a question, um, now that you are fully fledged as the prospect guru of sorts, 
what are the total number of prospects you follow in a year? And uh, what is the process? Do you and Jim Callis have a team of scouts? And how are you able to access all the films and reports uh, from all these people? Sure. So there, you know, there are a number of people who do what I do in, in a bunch of different outlets. Uh, and they kind of fall into to two camps. Uh, one camp is the evaluator scout camp where they, you know, uh, and I think Keith Law of ESPN falls into that category uh, where he'll go and see as many players as possible and evaluate himself. Now, he also will talk to uh, scouts with teams and things like that to, to bolster what they do. And, and he has some people uh, kind of under his employee who uh, will go out and, and do the same thing and file reports to him. Jim and I kind of fall into the other camp, which is this, what I'll call the reporter camp. Um, now, I've seen enough baseball where I, I know what I see, uh, but I would much rather rely on the trained eye of, of scouts with teams. So all of the information that we use is gathered in, in conversations, emails, texts, phone calls, the scouts, scouting directors, uh, you know, player development staff, of that nature. And we we do a top 30 for all 30 teams. So that's 900 players. Uh, there are three of us, myself, Jim Callis, and Mike Rosenbaum is our third guy. So we each do, you know, are responsible for 10 teams. So that's 300 players, uh, you know, at minimum. And obviously we try to keep an eye on what's going on at overall. You know, I, I have a firm grasp of anyone who's in our top 100 overall list, even if that player isn't a guy who is on one of my 10 teams. Right. Wow. That's a lot of people to be following. It's, it's a lot. And I, you know, I'm not going to lie. If I'm going to go on like a Milwaukee and, and that's not even a great example because that that's not one of my teams, but even if it's one of my teams and I'm going to go on a, a radio station in St. Louis and I do the Cardinals top 30, I'll make sure I have the top 30 in front of me because it's not going to be an automatic recall kind of thing. And I need to make sure I refresh my memory if I'm going to talk, especially if we dig deep into, into the list. Well, as you are uh, talking to all these scouting directors and whatnot, uh, are there any particular analytics or saber metrics that you use specifically to evaluate pitchers or position players? No, you know, I like to say that I'm, uh, I can't say I'm, I'm fluent, I'm proficient enough in <laughs> analytics right. so that if I'm talking to someone, uh, I know enough of what they're talking about and B, I don't sound like an idiot, um, both of which are important. Uh, you know, so we'll use that, you know, probably a little more and more, especially in terms of uh, minor league and, and the amateur uh, world, uh, we get more and more data. So then we can at least converse in that language and then we'll use it in our reports. So if we know, uh, you know, if there's a guy coming into the draft class who, when he was at different events, even the high school guys, now the big events all have that data. So if we know that a pitcher has a really high spin rate, we will make sure that we include that because we know that teams are using that information and, and a guy's value goes up proportionally based on, on, on that data. So if there's a high school guy who's got a really high spin rate on a fastball, uh, you know, uh, or, or on a breaking ball for that matter, 
uh, we know to use that accordingly when we're trying to figure out our rankings. Right, right. Um, you know, when you're talking about how you have 10 teams and then Jim has 10 and, and, uh, and, and Mike has his 10 teams, how do you figure out who's covering which, which, which 10? Is this something that y'all have established for a long period of time? How did you, how did you like parse that out? We have a, uh, we have a cage match. To death. <laughs> <Perfect>. <laughs> um, you know, it, a few years ago, uh, it's funny that you bring this up because I think we're probably going to switch it around. Uh, we haven't switched in a while, uh, but we, we did like a draft. Um, and I, it, it, you know, and typically I think we're, we're probably going to kind of switch things around a little bit this off season. Uh, we'll have, uh, it's like a keeper league, you know, if you, if you do fantasy uh, oh, yeah, yeah. stuff, we may keep say five teams that we really want to hold on to. Let's say it's a, you know, a, a local team or a team that we know really, really well, or, or uh, a team that we like really know the, the farm director well, have a, a good relationship with. Uh, so we'll keep and then uh, five and we'll throw our other five into the draft and then we'll redraft. Um, and sometimes when you're deciding who we want, it's not only based on, well, that, that, you know, that organization has got a lot of really good prospects. So I want to keep that team that does figure into it. Uh, but a lot of times it's, you know, I've, the last time we did this, you know, we redrafted it at all. Uh, I made sure I got, a couple of teams because I really like dealing with the, the farm director. Right. Um, and so of course uh, that personnel changes. So sometimes you, you know, have a team and you're like, Oh, I like doing this team. And then the farm director leaves and you're kind of stuck. But, uh, but uh, you know, it, it, whoever we end up getting, whichever teams, it's always interesting. Uh, you know, whether it's uh, you know, a good organization or a bad organization, um, I can guarantee you uh, that, say, the Seattle Mariners will be the last organization taken because not only <laughs> is their system right. Well, not, not only is their system not great, but their general manager trades all the time, so it's a constant need to uh, update that list throughout the season and off season. <laughs> you know, if you did this as a cage match, like on MLB Network or something, you'd have huge ratings. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I, like I have a feeling that Jim, you know, on paper, if you look at on paper, I would, I think, I would be the favorite among the <laughs> two of us. Um, Mike is is much younger than we are, so like I, I don't even know how I would handicap that, but uh, I think Jim is probably deceptively strong. Um, so I'd be a little worried. <laughs> Does the airport ever play into this? Like, you don't want to go to Boston because you don't want to go through Logan Airport, or you know? <laughs> well, you know, we don't. Luckily, we, I mean, we, we never go to the major league markets uh, and unfortunately don't have as much time as we would like to go to uh, go to minor league um, teams as, as much as we would like. I wish I had more time. There are a number of teams. I live in Pittsburgh and there are a ton of minor league affiliates within three hours drive. And every year I'm like, I'm going to try to get out and do more and never really works out that way. Uh, but yeah, no, so that it doesn't figure into that because we do spring training every year and that's, you know, always Florida and Arizona, no matter what, um, and, th and things of that nature. Now, Arizona is a lot better place to go for spring training than Florida because everything is within an hour of <laughs> sure, each other. Sure. And, 
is moving around quite a bit, but uh, there are worse ways to make a living. Yeah. <laughs> True. Um, of some of the minor league teams and 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 their stadiums specifically that you've been to in the last few years, what are, what are some of your favorites? You know, I haven't been to a lot of the newer ones. I feel like every year there are new ones that I'd like to to get to. But you know, around here, um, the Altoona Curve, I really like their their ballpark. There's like a, an amusement park that you, so you can see the uh, roller coaster, you know, beyond the right field fence. Um, Akron's ballpark is really nice. Uh, brick. Uh, they really built it, sort of built it into what the downtown area looks like, and and that downtown area has is a lot nicer um dayton ohio which now is it's funny i went the first year it opened which i want to say was maybe the second year it was open 2005 or six or whatever so now it's older quote unquote but it's still a really nice ballpark and they draw really well uh i think a lot of that is because it's the reds affiliate and it's less than an hour outside of cincinnati so you get reds fans wanting to see uh you know, the next stars, I think it helped them that I think their first year they had <clears throat> one of the first years they had, you know, Jay Bruce and Homer Bailey came through there. So, it, you know, guys quickly went from uh, Austin Kearns. It went quickly from being, you know, far away in a ball to the big league. So uh, they bought in realizing that whoever comes through there is, is going to end up in the, in the big leagues at some point. So those are a few in this area. I just, uh, this year, I just was at, uh, the ballpark in Columbus, Ohio, for the AAA All Star Game, and that's a, that's a, that that ballpark's like five years old, I think. It's a beautiful ballpark. Uh, so uh, that was a really nice one. I was glad to sort of check that one off because people have been saying to me for a while that I need to see that one. Is that that's Columbus, Ohio? Yeah, Columbus, Ohio. It's the Indians AAA affiliate. Nice. The Dayton Dragons, is it, is it true that don't they have like the longest sellout streak of, of any pro like professional team? I, yeah, I, uh, I had was told when I was just there that that is still going. Um, nice. now I'm not taking anything away from them because they draw really, really well. I, I think that's like a ticket sold kind of thing and not a who shows up right. in the ballpark thing. Um, so yeah, them and I think the team in Lowell, Massachusetts, uh, which is um, the short season New York Penn League team for the Red Sox. Uh, they've had a really long streak going as well. Uh, you know, you can sort of be creative with the bookkeeping in terms of attendance, but yeah, it's pretty impressive what they've been able to do. Yeah, and I bet I know I know you covered the Hunter Green when he started there. What what just real quick? What was that atmosphere like? That was fun. It was the weather was not great. Um, so, cause it was, it was cold, but enough people, I think that's the biggest difference in terms of what I do now compared to when I started is, uh, you know, 15 years ago, even the Hunter Greens of the world, like people wouldn't know who he was. They wouldn't, uh, they wouldn't know that they needed to check him out right away. Uh, you know, maybe eventually the local paper, you know, the Dayton newspaper would have covered him. Uh, maybe he's a bit of an anomaly, but uh, he had he's gotten he had gotten so much attention. Uh, he was on the cover of Sports Illustrated you know, before he was drafted. It, you know, everyone knew that he threw 100 miles an hour, and he came out and didn't disappoint. And uh, you know, was was throwing hard out of, right out of the gate and threw well in that in that first start. And uh, so there it, it was it was 
some some buzz there. You know, anytime you have a ballpark with the radar gone up and you have a guy who throws that hard, uh, it's going to cause some excitement. And and he pitched well overall. He struggled after that for a while. Then was pitching really well. And then now, unfortunately, he's hurt. But uh, so we'll have to wait and see what happens with that. But uh, uh, that that was a lot of fun for sure. Yeah, Jonathan, who's somebody you've missed over the years? Who's somebody that just you really never thought much of that kind of came out of nowhere and surprised you? Me? I've never missed a player. Ever. Oh, okay, I understand. I'm sorry <laughs> yeah. that I even brought that up. Um, <laughs> I mean, there are, there are tons and tons of guys who make it to the big leagues and end up you know, as stars. I mean, right, the, the biggest example would be Jose Altuve, uh, just because he was not on anyone's radar really anywhere. Uh, for the obvious reasons, uh, just because of his size, you know, he hit in the minors and he, and he ended up moving so quickly through their system that we didn't have chance. Sometimes you have a guy that you miss early and then you realize, Oh, you know, we need to get on this. He keeps performing, but he's moving one station at a time. He started hitting so well that he moved much more quick. I mean, he was in the big leagues, what at age 21, maybe right. 20. Yeah. So we didn't have, we didn't have time to, to, to readjust. Yeah. Right, to adjust, have that market correction. Um, the guy who I probably got uh, killed the most on social media recently was Reese Hoskins. Okay. <laughs> well, that's Philadelphia. Um, what do you expect? You know? Right, right. Well, and, you know, this was a guy who was a, you know, one of these sort of college performers, right? Mm-hmm. So he didn't come from a big college program. He, he hit early on in his minor league career. He moved one station at a time. Listen, I did the Phillies top 30. So (laughs) in terms of the top 100, but everyone's like, you have them way under rank. You know, Reading, their double-A affiliate is an extreme hitters park. Um, And listen, I can only go, when I'm putting together the Phillies list, uh, you know, or any of the lists, the process typically is I'll put together a ranking. I'll talk in great detail with their farm director, maybe someone else within the organization. And then I'll run the list by at least one, if there's time, more than one external, like a pro scouting director from another team. And uh, no one ever was like, you need to have Hoskins up higher. You know, right. he was a, kind of a right, 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 first base only, people thought. Um, guy who, yes, performed, but not sure it's going to work. Sure. Well, listen, it's, it's, it's worked. Um, is he as good as people who are yelling at me made not seem that he's having a really good year. I, I, you know, I always had the cautionary tale that people would did the same thing when Darren roof was coming through yeah. and Darren roof turned out not to be a productive big leaguer as of yet. Right. Right. So, you know, yes, I missed that one flip side. People got on me about, Trey Mancini or on us about Trey Mancini of the Orioles, very similar. And he has not been a productive big leaguer. So we miss some on both sides, you know, there are, and then there are other guys who are, can't miss who end up missing. So well, uh, it's all part of it. And I'm always willing to admit when I'm wrong. I'm not one of those guys who's stubborn to a fault. Well, tell us right now. I mean, we know like the top people, the Guerreros and the, the Tatiste and whatnot. Is there a, pitcher or a position player that's somewhat off the grid that's not getting as much publicity right now that we should be looking forward to seeing Hmm. well it depends on what is considered off the grid yeah the grid Uh, is so much larger uh, yeah yeah, i know right so is that like a guy 
So the first guy that comes to mind, but he's now number 30 on our top 100. So I don't know if that's off the grid, but that, uh, and he's a local kid for me, Alex Kirilov, uh, is from the Pittsburgh area. I saw him play a bunch of times in high school. When in the middle of the first round, uh, which typically isn't an off the grid, but then missed right. all of his first full season in 2017 because he had Tommy John surgery. He's a, an outfielder. Uh, so you knew it wasn't long, long-term, it wasn't going to impact his ability to play, but you were like, how much rust is there going to be? Uh, well, he hit 333 with a 999 OPS in the Midwest League, got promoted after 65 games to the Florida State League, which typically is a pitching-friendly league. He hit 362 with a 943 OPS in 65 games in the Florida State League. Was in the futures game. I mean, he just hit. He ended up with 20 homers and 101 runs batted in, hit 348 for the year. So this is a guy who, you know, you think is going to be good, but he was a high schooler from a not baseball hotbed, missed a year with injury, and just absolutely hit wherever he was this year and what, in effect, was his first full year. So he went from he was not on the top 100 at all and is now all the way up at 30. Uh, you know, and, you know, I think at this point next year, we'll probably be a top 10 uh, prospect. So, you know, I don't know if that's really yeah, that's what we're looking for. Yeah. Okay, But for, for the casual baseball fan or for the, I'm only focused on my local team. He may not be a guy that people are that familiar with. Right. Okay. Um, what is uh, kind of talking about your, your, your schedule. What is the busiest time of year for you? Is it, uh, the draft. I mean, you covered the draft front to back. Is it that? Is it the spring spring training and putting together the pipeline one hundred, or is it the fall league? Um, man. I mean, every time of year brings something else. Uh, yeah, there is no real off season. I love the Arizona fall league because it's um a little lower key. I mean, there's travel involved. I'm there for two weeks, usually two separate trips. Um, but again, just like with spring training, all the teams are relatively close. Uh, I'm not, I have responsibilities, but I'm not absolutely hammered with stuff. Right. Uh, spring training, depending on when you go is similar. Um, but if you go, if you go really early in spring training, we might still be working on our team top 30 lists. So it's like you're doing two full-time jobs at once. Um, so I definitely like the fall league the most. I do love the draft, but that gets, I mean, it's a lot. Uh, and uh, I feel like the older I get, the less I'm able to keep <laughs> up with the, with the demands of that, of that time of year. Right. Jonathan, what team and minor league system seems to do the best at advancing their prospects? I think that it changes, well, yeah. um, you know, uh, depending on who's in their system and, uh, you know, I think the Atlanta Braves probably have you know, about as long a track record of having young guys make it up to their big league team. Obviously, they hit the rebuild switch a couple of years ago, and now they're way ahead of of even probably what was their own timetable. Um, and now they're set up where I think they're going to continue to be good for for a while. I think what what ends up being the tricky thing is you know that teams don't always do well when suddenly they're drafting later. So like here in Pittsburgh, 
they, the Pirates, you know, the, this this regime, when Neil Huntington came in to be general manager, uh, were fully committed to building up a farm system that uh, that was a bit lackluster. Um, and they did really well with the draft. They were aggressive in the draft before the rules changed. Uh, the rules changed didn't help in terms of, you know, you know, they've spent as much as they wanted to, and then, then they couldn't. But they also started getting good, so they were drafting in the 20s instead of in the top 10. And so a couple of their draft picks were a little bit lackluster. Now, I think they've gotten back to being a little more aggressive, and I think they're kind of back on the upswing. So it's sticking with um, sticking with the philosophy, no matter where you're drafting, and, and you know, as much as you can, uh, the without boring your listeners about the draft bonus system now <laughs> right. a certain amount of money you can be creative within that but if you have a lot less money you obviously can't get as many elite level players right uh, so uh you know but you know I, I would put the braves on that list for sure i mean you know the red Sox for years you know under theo epstein were really good at that uh and then you change who who is running things and Dave Dombrowski is much more of a trade guys from your farm system and not worry about building it up. So their farm system is not nearly as good. And that's what I mean in terms of it kind of being a cyclical kind of deal. Sure. Sure. Um, shifting gears. I know we got to let you go soon, but um, so you are uh, an integral piece of the documentary heading home, the tale of team Israel. Uh, that's where you and I met at the premiere at the Atlanta Jewish film festival back in February. Um, what is your personal reaction to the success of that film and kind of describe the festival experience and following you on social media? We know you traveled to a bunch of the different screenings, kind of describe that experience as well. It's been, it's been, I mean, the whole thing has been surreal. Um, just from the fact, cause the Ironbound films, the, the filmmakers, uh, Two of the three of the main partners were guys that I went to sleepaway camp with when I was a kid. Uh, <laughs> right. Like I've known some of them for 30 some odd years. So uh, to be working with them on a project at all, to be working on a project that carried us to Israel, uh, we'd all gone on a year program in Israel, separate years. Uh, they're uh, a little bit younger than I am, but, um, but very similar experiences. That was surreal. Um, seeing the team do what they did in Asia that made it a whole different movie. Um, right. Then, then, you know, was expected, um, was unbelievable. And then I, I, I've never done this before. I've never been involved in, in a film. So I didn't know what to expect. And, and even for them, like they, they would not made a movie like this. Uh, the other films they had done had, you know, played in film festivals, but, uh, we got plugged into, and we're still plugged into the Jewish Film Festival circuit, and uh, which is like ne it's never ending. There are so many of them, right. and every time I think we're kind of done, then suddenly there's another one. I think it's playing in the Sarasota <laughs> Jewish Film Festival in March, and I've since learned that you can sometimes hook on for a second year for the film festivals that you didn't get to or you didn't know about. Or, you know, they didn't say yes, and maybe they will now because they've seen the, the success that the film has had and won Best Documentary at, you know, several of these. So that's been great. And then going to different screenings has been, it's been amazing. And I haven't gotten tired of seeing the movie yet. We just showed it here um, 
kind of the next wave is playing at like synagogues and JCCs as kind of one-off deals. And they just played it at my local JCC for their annual meeting. I, I don't get tired of it because I still like seeing how the audience reacts to different things, you know, which, which lines are they laughing at? You know, or is this getting more of a laugh as opposed to this other line by another player? Um, what is the reaction to some of the more powerful moments? And, and you know, there are different ones uh, that hit different people in different parts of the country, different ways. So um, it, it's been really interesting to, to see all of that. And, and I really enjoy getting to talk about it uh, either before or after the film, whether it's a formal Q&A session or uh, just informally talking to, to folks uh, and getting their reactions to the movie. Yeah, that's great. It was great seeing it here. Uh, Seth was here. Seth Kramer was here just recently for a special screening sponsored by the Atlanta Braves. The I saw that. that was amazing. Yeah, that was really cool. I we were we were kind of blown away by by uh, and they had their full uh, cheer team and uh, like kind of street street team there at the screening at our our new Sandy Springs Art Center here in Atlanta. So. Um, well, that's great, man. Well, we know you, you got to get running, but, um, thank you so much for coming on the podcast today, man. And, uh, is there anything you're working on right now? Anything to plug? You got a book coming out soon or something yeah. like that? No, no, nothing now. We, uh, we've been, we've been, uh, kicking around the idea of doing a, a, a heading home book. Um, but that's, that's the, uh, the, the only stage we're in right now is sort of kicking around the idea. So, uh, We'll, we'll see if we actually get ourselves. Okay. Jonathan, when will we see you again on the MLB network? Uh, you know, you have to ask them that. It's kind of like <laughs> a, you know, now and again, they're, they're very much in big league postseason mode right now. Sure. Um, chances are the one time I could say for certain is the, uh, the Arizona Fall League does uh, like an all-star game. They call it the Fall Stars game. And I've typically been a part of that uh broadcast that that's broadcast on the network in the i believe it's the first saturday in november so the one time that you can sort of look for for certain and then you know in terms of a uh, a segment here or there it's kind of catch as catch can kind of deal this is unrelated to any of this you ever go to the cape cod league I have uh it's been a while every year i'm like i'm gonna go because it is great combination of working in family vacation. Um, and my son, who's a senior in high school now is a baseball player. So it would be, it would be outstanding to go and I never have time. So, yeah. but it's been a while. I, I wish I could go back someday. Bucket list. Yeah. Stuff. Well, Always right. on, it's on the eternal bucket list. <laughs> there you go. I, we've got several of those as well. And just within the baseball sphere alone. So well, Jonathan Mayo, thank you so much. Uh, be sure to read everything MLB Pipeline on the MLB Pipeline section on MLB.com. Uh, we can follow you uh, at Jonathan Mayo is your Twitter and uh, at MLB Pipeline. Jonathan, thank you so much. Thanks, guys, for having me. Appreciate it. Yeah, we'll have to do this again sometime, man. Absolutely. All right. Take care.
Well, special thanks once again uh, to Mr. Jonathan Mayo for joining us on the podcast today. Uh, thank you, as always, to everyone listening to the Running the Bases podcast. You can always find us on SoundCloud and on iTunes. Uh, find all things Running the Bases at the website, runningthebases.com. Uh, you can follow us on Instagram, at Running the Bases, on Twitter, at Running the Base. Um, and like us on Facebook. And uh, this is the most exciting time of year. This is our March Madness. Yes, it is. Yeah. And a thank you, as always, to Mr. David Wayngarten, who uh, provides our intro and outro music. Uh, his album, The Truth Is, I Don't Know, is available on iTunes and on Amazon. So for Coach Jordan Bounds, I am Tucker Wells. This is the Running the Bases podcast. Coming into home, safe as always. Coach, you have yourself a good night. Good night.